welcome to your property podcast. Um, as you might have noticed, it's me and Harry Owen doing the intro today, and I am joined by my co-host. Uh, he's been demoted, Ant Lyons. Hello. Hello. Uh, very happy uh, about my demotion. So <laughs> thank you for that. Thank you for even letting me on. <laughs> You're welcome. And um, today we're joined by Paul Merrick as well, who has um, over 20 years of experience in uh, property and development. Um, he's very experienced and we're going to be talking about Scotland. So welcome, Paul. Hello. Hello. Um, how are you doing? How's, how's life? Life's fine. Life's fine. I'm semi-retired now, so I spend a lot of time in the garden. That's not um, by choice, that's by force, because my wife's decided that we're going to have a vegetable garden. <laughs> that, I never realised I was going to be the gardener. So, and, 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 and so, Paul, uh, given that in today's topic we're going to be talking about investing north of the border, can I, can I uh, uh, um, make the assumption you've got a, a great um, crop of neeps and tatties? <laughs> you can assume I've got a big hole in the garden at the moment. Okay. One day, one day that something will grow. So today's um, topic, we're, we're, we're talking about, because uh, we get a lot of, we get loads of people who read the magazine that are based in sort of south and probably southeast of, of England. Um, and it probably equates to sort of 30, 35% of our readership, maybe a little bit more. And there's lots of talk about investing up north. You know, you can see it on the Facebook forums, on the property groups out there. And within the UK, it's difficult to go further north uh, than Scotland. Um, so this is what we're going to be talking about today. So you're, you're based in, 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 in Glasgow. Um, is that where you're from originally? Uh, from a, a small town called Bells Hill, just outside of Glasgow, yes. Okay, um, I am going to be very honest. And I say I know nothing about Scotland. I've been there twice um i don't know anything about the scottish market i don't know what the property market's doing up there i don't know what um sort of prices are doing so can you just sort of like give a bit of an overview on sort of what's got what's happening in scotland right now well i think um given the readership of your magazine you're probably not alone so i feel like scotland's <laughs> the kind of hidden secret of of the uk because i i see and i hear a lot of people in the south of england talking about investing in the north but by the north they mean manchester leeds birmingham, mm. birmingham. <laughs> yeah. but but the the north of the uk is scotland and and there's a lot of fear around the scottish market because we are a different country we do have a different legal system you know and property is different in many ways in scotland than it is in england can, that's, can that's we talk Sorry. Paul, I was going to ask, can we talk about the differences in the legal system? Because, um, you know, I hear that a lot. Uh, you know, it, it's different. That property sales transact in a different way um, in, in Scotland. Um, and that I quite often hear, we should do it the way they do it in Scotland. We should, and I've, I don't know if you, you guys have heard that as well. So how does it differ? And in your opinion, is it a better or worse or just different system? My opinion would be very biased, but we find a better system. So, so just to give you a kind of rounded picture of myself. I haven't only invested in Scotland and I haven't only taken advantage of the Scottish market. I, I invested in my 20 odd years right throughout the UK and in London in the, in the best times. And I've always preferred the Scottish legal system. I can work easily within the English legal system, but the Scottish legal system, as I have heard even English surveyors say, is a more civilized system. What do I mean by that? Gazumping is almost unheard of in Scotland. In Scotland, when you make an offer, 
and that offer is accepted, then that's a done deal. So we go into a thing called a missive. And the moment that you've signed that missive, no matter when the date of entry is, which is the conclusion of that missive, you have bought that property. So one of the, the real obstacles that you can come across dealing in the English market is you can strike a great deal with a vendor, you can start the legal process, and during the process, that vendor can take an offer from an other buyer. In Scotland, that doesn't happen. The moment you move into, the moment your offer is accepted, legally accepted, that's a done deal. Would you say then that because of that, that the process is quicker in Scotland? The process is quicker and cleaner. Okay. Because you know you have a deal. And and it it happens on the other side as well, doesn't it? I guess that if you're the seller, if you're a Mm -hmm. developer or whoever looking to sell, Mm -hmm. then you know you're not going to get chipped on the price at the last minute, which, you know, we've probably all been in that situation at some point. So how how does that work in terms of chains collapsing or buyers pulling out because the chains collapsed um, if if it's a done deal? Because when you say it's a done deal, I automatically think, oh, it's like the auction uh, process. We've got 30 days in which to complete. But I'm assuming because of that, it must be slightly different. So so let me run you quickly through the process. So the process is that imagine you're buying a property from me and I'm the developer. So you would, you would, um, we would present you with an offer to sell and that would give you what we were selling you the terms we were selling it on, and the cost of it. You would then accept that offer, legally accept that offer, and the next move would be a missive, right, which is a legal document binding you and me to that contract. Yep. We would have, then have a date of entry. That's the date at which you actually take control, ownership of the property, and that's the date at which you pay for it. Okay. So what happens if I'm selling something to buy your, your product, um, mm-hmm. and my sale falls through if the chain collapses or can I not move and make that missive enter into that missive until I know that I'm proceedable as it were well if you imagine that you're buying and selling in Scotland for a second right then the contract that I have with you you will have with your buyer so yes sales fall through in Scotland but it's a much rarer transaction to fall through in Scotland than it would be in England, because yeah. every, I don't I, know. The last, la- latest stat I sort of read was like one in four kind of fall over, and that that seems high, but but maybe and, and, not. And that statistic wouldn't ro- um, roll through to Scotland. That statistic would be much higher. It might be one in thirty. I, I don't have the current statistics, but it's it's oh. that different. Okay, so you you have more surety of sale when you're selling much, much more. Okay, now how are sort of property prices i mean it's almost impossible to make these generalizations because we know that even if we pick a city just one city in the uk there'll be big polarizations between the the, the price, um prices in different areas um we've definitely seen in the kind of higher value areas london and, and the southeast a definite blip um blip fall decline however you want to uh, phrase it um in in the last sort of year or two in those higher value areas. I'm, I'm guessing that, you know, in Scotland, you're going to have uh, places like Edinburgh or whatever, where traditionally property prices are higher. Have you seen the same effects? Well, well, I think it's very kind to call what's going on um, in the south of England and in London a blip. I think that's a very yeah, kind. You're right, yeah. Thank you, right, yeah. Um, in Scotland overall, um, according to the Scottish Land Register, um, at, at their last release, which was the beginning of this year, um, Scotland overall, 
has went up by 2.2%. Then you have kind of some styles of that show, if you like, because that's the average. So the styles of that show are places like Edinburgh, are Glasgow, um, are the Stirling area. So if you take the Stirling area, for example, which is kind of the centre of Scotland, we call it Central Belt, centre of Scotland, um, large town but not a city, we have seen prices in that area raised by 8.3%. They're predicted to rise by another 5% this year. So that was 8.3% as of 2018. They're predicted to rise 5% this year. And in 2017, they rose 5%. Edinburgh is predicted for a rise of 6.5% this year. And Glasgow is predicted for a rise of 5% this year. And this is back on back with rises over the last five years. Okay, and why do you think that it's rising in Scotland and it's falling in England? I think we should ask that question the other way around, which is not why it's rising in Scotland, but why it's falling in England. Okay. Um, so you've had some interesting taxes implied in the, or, or applied um, in London recently that we haven't had. But I think we can't have this podcast. I don't think you can have any podcast at the moment that talks about rise in price of falls, or fall, rise, sorry, rises and falls in price of property without bringing the word Brexit into it, can we? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, now, we can't have a direct correlation between Brexit and prices in London, but I think there's an indirect correlation between them. Because if you look at who the population of London are, and you look at who the buyers are in London, then, then an effect like Brexit, even a pending Brexit, is going to affect demand and supply. Mm-hmm. Brexit doesn't really affect Scotland at all. Why so? Well, if you look at the economy of Scotland, so the driving economy of Scotland is oil, mm-hmm. which many of your listeners will recognise from when we were having our own referendum in 2014. Oil was a big topic in Scotland because it's a huge percentage of our re- revenue. Oil is sold in dollars. It's not sold in euros, it's sold in dollars. So the dollar is very important. What happens to the dollar is very important in Scotland. I mean, if you take a city like Aberdeen, that is completely based on oil, right? I can literally predict the price of property in Aberdeen by the price of a barrel of oil. When the price of barrel oil is high, then renting in Aberdeen is expensive and buying in Aberdeen is very expensive. When the price of a barrel of oil is low, then the prices in Aberdeen crash and so does the rental market. Mm. So have you got a time lag on that? Is there, you know, a sort of six or 12 month sort of following or does it is it does it react quite quickly it's within two or three months it's a prop it's a city in scotland i've never chose to invest in simply because it's a roller coaster yeah because it's about jobs and it's about the jobs that the oil industry supports and aberdeen runs on the oil industry either directly involved in the oil industry or subsidiary businesses to the oil industry and when oil prices drop oil production goes down. When oil production goes down, you don't need as many people. When you don't need as many people, you don't need as many houses. So Scotland's economy overall is is predicated on oil, which is not bought or sold in euros. It's bought and sold in dollars. Then if you take Scotland's next biggest export, it's whiskey. We do let some of it go out the country, given we mm-hmm. it here, but we do let some of it go out the country. Um, our biggest exporter for whiskey is again America, and our second biggest exporter for whiskey is China. Okay. So we are much more interested in the dollar and the yen than we are in the euro. 
-hmm. And the third biggest industry in Scotland is tourism. And we have an international tourism. Now, whilst we have a reasonable share of Europeans coming to Scotland, we also have a huge amount of Canadians, Americans, and Chinese and Japanese coming to Scotland. So the Scottish economy isn't predicated on the euro. And we're not relying in the same way on euro imports that many other countries within inside the UK are. And, and one of the biggest factors at the moment, if we, if we presume that one of the biggest factors at the moment that is affecting prices and demand in the south of England is a pending Brexit, then we don't have that same problem. Mm. Do you think it's fair, though, to keep um, comparing Scotland to the southeast of England? Because, like, London... Uh, sorry, London, England is quite a large country in itself, and then also in the UK you've got Wales and Northern Ireland. Mm-hmm. Um, so... You know, the southeast is kind of its own little econ- economical bubble. Is it though, or, or is it just a, or is it just a magnification of what's going on in the rest of the UK? But it's it's kind of exacerbated in the southeast because property values are so much higher. I mean, I definitely in you know the developments we've done, Brexit has been a very real issue in the proceedability of. Um, you know, we've got people who are selling family homes mm-hmm. to sort of move into, you know, retirement in inverted commas apartments. And they've really found it difficult to sell those, you know, those big kind of four bed, five bed detached family homes. So I don't know if, if London is a totally separate thing or if it's just a magnification of what else is happening in, in England. I don't know. What are your thoughts, Paul? Um, London is the only international city that we have in the UK. Um, and that sounds very parochial, but it's a fact. London, London is an international city, right? Most of the cities within inside the UK are, are not international cities. They're parochial cities. That's going to have a, a huge effect. So I, I, I've um, wrote blogs and I have wrote posts and I have wrote articles on the fact that people talk about the UK economy and the UK market and the UK property market. And there is no such thing as the UK property market. There are UK property markets. Mm. And that defines into six clear markets. So we have the north of England, the south of England, Scotland, Ireland, Wales, and London. Because London is a bubble. It's its own market. Um, It has an effect and it reacts to what's going on in the rest of the UK. They're all interlinked but they're not all the one market. They're very different markets who perform differently at different times. For example, I've I've been in business um, and in the property business long before the original crash, the 2008 crash. And we made very, we we didn't survive the crash. We thrived the crash. And that's because what we did was look at certain areas that were performing differently than most of the UK at that point in time. So within those six markets, then you have micro markets. So there'll always be a town, a village, a city that has something going on, a new school, a new roadway coming in, new employment that's coming in, right? Very few houses being built, right? That will that will cause a peak for demand in that particular area at that particular time. And a really good long-term investor developer will see that peak and 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 um, really kind of seize on it. So there's always somewhere in the UK where it's a good place to invest. So, for example, we have, we're selling off plots in a development just now in a village called Fintry, just outside of Stirling. Now, I've already said that Stirling's a very good area, you know, seeing 8.3% rise last year, looking at a 5% rise this year. 
But then you have micro markets within side that bigger market that's, that's already doing well, where um, the village of Fintry has had no new housing for almost 10 years and we are bringing five houses. So they'll be the only five brand new houses in that area. The last house to sell in that area, if we, if we take real examples, because I quite like real examples, yeah. was um, a, a fairly run down um, four bedroom 70s bungalow, which was um, surveyed at 260,000 and sold for 290,000. Not because it was the greatest property in the world, because at that point in time, it was the only property available in that radius. So you've, you've got to look, you know, as a developer, you've got to look at the bigger market. So the macro market, then you've got to look at the individual markets that was within inside. So the whole UK is a macro market. Then you look at the micro markets within inside that UK, which is the various regions. And then you look within inside that if there's a really booming, tiny market that you can exploit. Mm-hmm. One of the great things about Scotland um, is that there is lots of those tiny little markets that have a real opportunity because there's a new school, because there's a new employer, because there's a new roadway. And there's very little housing there in the first place. It doesn't take a lot as a developer to say, you know, I'm not going to put another 100 houses there because that's never going to happen. But I don't think your audience are necessarily the 100 house builders. What I can put there is another five houses or six houses or 10 houses and take that opportunity. That kind of leads me on to one of my other questions, actually, which is um, sort of, the markets outside of the big cities and the big towns, you know, you've got the Scottish Isles, you've got the Highlands, you've got um, sort of other quite remote areas. Um, do you think those are sort of like a good place to invest or do people not want to live in those kind of places? People love to live in those type of places. And one of the things that we have in Scotland is a lot of very good proximity to major cities. Mm-hmm. So if you are in London and you want to be out in the countryside, you know, A, it's going to be very expensive to buy somewhere um, that's rural, but within commuting distance of London. And B, what is commuting distance with, with, of London to be literally out in the countryside? Is that an hour? Is that an hour and a half? Whereas if you take the centre of Glasgow, you can be in the countryside and you can be in the Trossachs or Loch Lomond, which is, you know, beautiful countryside. Um, you can be there in 25 minutes. Mm. What about the sort of more remote areas, you know, the, the islands that you've got to take a boat and uh, all sorts to you sort of get to and like Shetland and Fair Isle, which is, you know, a sort of three mile long island with about 12 people living on it. Um, you know, what about those kind of more remote areas? Well, the interesting thing is being as old as me and having been in property as long as me that you see market changes. Right. Mm-hmm. And we've seen a huge market change in real, really rural areas in Scotland over the last five years, I would say. Um, certainly moving in that direction over the last 10 years, but in the last five years, it has hugely changed because, because the way we work has hugely changed. Mm-hmm. So everybody used to get up and, and either go to their blue collar job or go to their white collar job, but they always were leaving home to go somewhere else to do a job. Right? Many office workers now have the flexibility of being able to work from home, which has opened up places like the islands to everyone. But also, you know what, it's it's a a really interesting point because I've got a very good friend of mine. He owns a software company in Bristol um, and got about 40 or 50 people working for him. And about seven or eight years ago, he moved to the Isle of Mull and, you know, he lives there. Mm -hmm. The business operates in in, in Bristol. And, um, you know, it is increasingly 
you know, uh, certainly at the sort of more senior levels and, and actually for everybody, we're able to work from home. You know, we're, we're all in different parts um, of the UK now doing, doing this yep. call. And um, that's interesting. So you've seen a spike in those sort of rural, desirable places to live in terms of the property values because people are able to live there now. Able to live there and more importantly, able to work. Yeah. Mm. Um, and, and, and whilst I agree with you that, yes, you know, for the high end, that's always been available. You know, if you've got a, a company with 100 employees, then you probably don't have to be there every day. But the other thing that we're seeing um, demographically change in this country is the amount of small self-employed entrepreneurs mm. who are running online businesses. And those people yeah. can run those online businesses from anywhere. Mm. And they are. So people yeah. are saying, OK, I can be in the hustle and bustle of a big city right? Or I can actually have a nice little small holding, you know, on whichever island you choose and still run that business equally mm. as well. Is the, in, so is the infrastructure in place? Like, you know, is there sort of fast internet in those areas and like decent phone signal and, you know, all that kind of stuff that's kind of needed to run? It's, it's one of the things that, that, that whilst I, I, I tend not to be political and, and don't intend to complain about the Scottish government, right? <laughs> although I could, right? Um, one of the things that I must say that they have done very, very well and must be commended for is putting infrastructure in. Okay. Because they realise that we're a rural economy and, and they okay. focus on that rural economy and say, right, okay, well, we need, you know, we need internet, we need good access, we need good um, transport links, we need good public transport, right? And they have been very good at doing that. Okay. Um, Paul, you mentioned that, um, I don't know if you said London or the UK has been subject to some interesting taxes, which um, uh, investors, landlords, property owners in, in Scotland haven't been. Um, to, to what are you referring there? Is that, is that section uh, 24 or what, what are the sort of taxes that have impacted us, which, which haven't uh, it, it impacted our, our sort of Scottish counterparts? If you look at the, if you so we live under essentially two different tax systems, right? So we have one overarching tax system, which is the national tax system, which is what we all live by in terms of the percentage of corporate tax we save, for example, um, as a business. But the the um, the delegated powers to the Scottish government, right? Let them ch make changes to individual taxes. So. For example, um, you are looking at the moment in lots of places that SAs, um, serviced accommodation, is now starting to be affected by council tax or rates. And that's starting to have a real biting effect on that whole SA market. That hasn't been implemented in Scotland as severely yet. So there's still opportunities in Scotland to do things that are getting more difficult in England. There's nothing that you can do. There's no development you can do, no rental that you can do, um, no form of any kind of property business that you can do in Scotland that you can't do in England. But there are more opportunities at the moment in Scotland in terms of certain um, legislation not as being as heavily enforced. Mm -hmm. So if you were, um, if you're based down here, if you were, you know, one of our readers in the South East or, you know, anywhere else in the UK, actually, what are the opportunities that you would be looking for in Scotland? 
and how can people uh, you know it's difficult isn't it it's difficult investing in an area that you don't know it's very easy to get your your, your fingers burned by not understanding the kind of microclimate in in an area so what would you be looking at if you weren't you if you were Harrod or I or any of our listeners what are the opportunities you'd be you know exploring um in, in Scotland well, well, well let me take exception to the first thing that you said which is if I didn't know an area um, the fact of the matter is that if I hadn't spent time and effort right researching an area I wouldn't be spending my money in it no matter where it was so when I've um, chose to invest in England I have spent a considerable amount of time looking at those micro markets, understanding those micro markets and making sure that my money is safe. Because you can have all the outside advice that you like, right? And you can bring in all the experts that you like. But at the end of the day, every investor listening to this podcast will be investing their hard earned money. So it's up to them to do their hard earned research. And I would very much advocate that. Um, and if you're willing to do that, and I mean, we're talking about a couple of months of research here. I can tell you, you know, I certainly can research an area very thoroughly within one to two months if, if I make that my focus. Yeah? And if I choose to do that, I would argue that within one or two months of picking a particular area, and even more so when it becomes a small area, because to say I'm going to research London would be almost impossible. Mm. But to say I am going to research an area of London, so I'm going to focus on, for example, Croydon, Right. It wouldn't take me a huge amount of time to clearly understand the Croydon market, the different parts of the Croydon market and the parts of the Croydon market that really interested me. So due diligence and hard work is what this job is really about. Given that yeah. they're prepared to do that. Right. What would I see as the opportunities in Scotland? Well, there's a yin and a yang to everything. Now, I'm not here to, you know, I don't work for the Scottish Tourist Board and I'm not here to sell Scotland. Right. So. We are moving away from the rental market in Scotland because we have a new lease in Scotland called the PRT, which is very interesting. And to summarize it, and probably not fairly, but to summarize it from a landlord's point of view and a landlord with 20 plus years of experience, this lease is very heavy, heavily weighted towards the tenant. For mm -hmm. a start, it's an open-ended lease. So there's no term. For the lease. You are not saying to your tenant, you're in for six months or you're in for a year. It's an open-ended lease. Mm, that sounds quite similar to what they sort of do in the, on the continent, more like in Germany and in um, so It's a much more European model. Yeah. Very true. And in countries where the vast majority of people are happy renting. Mm. I don't know that we've got to that point in the UK yet that the vast majority of people are happy renting. Most of the people I speak to who aren't on the property ladder have an aspiration to get there. Mm. It's, it's a very strong lease in terms of the tenant, and it's quite a weak lease in terms of the landlord. And I can't be any more frank than to say that we, are, we have not bought a residential property to lease in the last five years, and I have no intentions to do so again. So would I be saying to your investors, come to Scotland and buy a two-bedroom buy-to-let? Certainly not a model that I would endorse. The yields are very good compared to England, hmm. but in the yang to it. So yeah, is that sorry? Is that just because um, like you don't have the freedom of you know maybe selling the property or whatever, or if you have a troublesome tenant getting rid of it? Um, but on the other hand, if you have a really good tenant, people often want to keep them for many many years. So 
would it not sort of work in favour in those instances? I, I think, as I said in my article that was published in YPN this month, that, you know, if, if you have a view that your business model is that you want to be inventing for a long time and hold every individual property for a long time, then Scotland shows some wonderful yields. I mean, our average yield on a buy-to-let is 14% top line, which rates back to 10%. Mm-hmm. Now, in the south of England, that sounds like amazing yields. In Scotland, that's good yields, but it's not amazing yields. The average yield in Edinburgh and Glasgow is 6.5%. But you have to be very clear when you start out that you intend to hold that property for a very long time and essentially be tied to that tenant for a very long time. So that it's much more difficult. There is a lot of people in the south of England who do what I would call buy not buy to let, but let to buy. In other words, they buy a property, they let it out, but really they're letting it out in order to pay the mortgage so that one day there'll be some capital gain and they'll sell it. So they're Mm. they're letting it to buy it, not buying it to let it. Does does that make sense? Yes. That makes sense, yeah. Yeah. In Scotland, it is very difficult to do that because you are going to be tied to that tenant unless you have a very good reason for selling for a long time. Now, the yang side of that, if you like, or the yang side, whichever side that is, right, the positive side of that is that we've got some tenants that we have had for over 20 years. And we'd never put a tenant out. But what we will do is when those tenancies come to a natural end, then we probably will not lease those properties again. We will probably choose to sell them. But, but let me go back to your original question, which was what would I say was a good opportunity? I would say a good opportunity at the moment is development in Scotland. Because I think development in the south of England, whilst it, it's, it's had some very good days, and, and I'm sure some of your listeners and some of your readers have made some very substantial profits using the advantage of the market. However, those advantages are, are quickly slipping away. Whereas in Scotland, let me give you some examples of why development's good in Scotland. Um, and again, referring back to the article, if people want to read in more detail. So in Scotland, you can buy a good plot with a GDV, an end house value of a GDV of around about £300,000, and you will buy that plot for less than £100,000. Quite often, you'll buy a plot in Scotland with the benefit of detailed planning for 25% of the GDV. Now, if you've had some experience of development trying to buy a plot in London for 25% of GDV is very difficult. That GDP, yeah. that end value, is pretty stable in Scotland. I mean, you, the price you, rises at the moment, but even if the price has just stood still in Scotland, right, it would still be a good return on investment. What about the sort of level of competition for plots? Those, those sort of smaller plots, you know, sort of five to ten um, properties, something like that, because that's definitely the biggest challenge that we see is, is finding those plots and massive competition for those um hence you know the 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 price is being pushed up um is there in your opinion less competition well i I did some some um market research for um, a project i was doing a few months ago in scotland which was running development days just and bringing people along kind of teaching the the basics of the, the kind of you know 10 do's and don'ts of development um, and to do that, I, uh, I, I brought the people in using Facebook groups. And I used the Facebook groups in Scotland, and I looked at the Facebook, the predominant Facebook groups, um, property Facebook groups in England. Now, firstly, 
that the most popular Facebook group for property investors in Scotland has, wait for it, 2,700 people on it. Right. Yeah. The most popular Facebook group, independent Facebook group in England that has property investors on it has 25,000. Yeah. Here's an even more interesting statistic that came from my research. Of the 2,700 people who were involved in this property network Facebook group in Scotland, there were roughly 7% who were interested in development and the rest were interested in other strategies, buy to let, HMO, serviced accommodation. When I took that demographic out and done a sample with the 25,000 in England, there was more than 30% of people interested or keen on doing development. So you have a smaller amount of plots, admittedly, but you have a much smaller amount of people actually interested in doing development. Mm. And that's, I, I think there's lots of reasons for that. I don't think that development in terms of the property training, well, we can argue, is there a property training industry in Scotland? And if, it, if there is, it's very small. And the people who are in that property training industry in Scotland are not pushing development. They are pushing things like serviced accommodation. Whereas you take that compared to the property training industry in England, there is, it's a lot bigger populated market. And there's somebody out there, you know, selling all different strategies and teaching all different strategies. And, and, and you've got to take the overall demographic of people. The population of Scotland is 6 million people. The current population of London is what? I have no yeah. idea. More than that, probably. Yeah, more than that. More than that. Yeah. Over eight. Yeah. yeah. So is there competition? You're in business. There's always competition. But is there less competition in Scotland? The demographics alone tell you that. And if you combine that with the fact that for new investors, you know, people new to development, there is no one in Scotland actually training how to do development okay that is interesting okay um and in terms of sort of cost of construction does does that vary in your opinion can you build for less yes um so so there's a simple and yet annoying demographic about living in scotland we don't get paid as much as you do right um so therefore labor is inherently cheaper um are the materials cheaper um, what you will find is that in a, in a market where you are dealing with a supplier and there is not that many people doing development, then you have a much stronger hand to negotiate prices than in an area where a lot of development's happening and your builders, merchants are as busy as they can be. They won't really spend the time with you and negotiate prices with you because they don't need to. It's fact of business. You don't do hard business if you don't need to. You do easy business. In Scotland, it's all hard business. Okay. Um, so if you were asked, I mean, obviously managing development projects from, you know, 300 miles away is a genuine challenge. Um, it's bad enough when they're on your doorstep, isn't it? So, <laughs> uh, so for people listening to this, I mean, obviously there's, there's an absolute opportunity in, in buy to let because the yields are higher and we've got longer term tenants, but as we've mm -hmm. discussed, that, that comes with some, um, uh, some challenges as well as an, an opportunity. Um, in terms of developing, it's very difficult to do that arm's length, um, or is it? Because you've done stuff all around the UK. So 
you know, should we be changing the way that we look at things and say, well, actually, you know, I, I, I could do a development there. Um, I just need a project manager on the ground and so forth. So um, what would your thoughts on, on that be? Well, well, let me put it this way. Um, I enjoyed for a long time being a Scottish developer who wasn't frightened to go to England to develop because most of the other Scottish developers had the same mindset as you have or that you're portraying, which is it's far away. Mm. Yeah. London's an hour from Glasgow. So, so we have these aeroplanes now, and they're very good. <laughs> um, now, most of the London developers will probably be doing stuff in excess of an hour away from their doorstep. Mm. Yeah. So why well, not spend an hour sitting put... on a plane having tea and coffee? Yeah, when you put it like that, you know, don't really think about that. Because I used to fly, well, I have flown from Manchester to Norwich, which is a really long way, is like across the country. But it was like 20 minutes on the plane. Mm. Um, it's so... about thinking differently. Yeah. It's about saying, okay, we have a very open society now. I can leave my house um, in the sunny suburbs of Newton Mearns in Glasgow and I can be in London and talking to you directly in less than two hours. Mm. Mm. So would you say that um, for those who aren't Scottish, um, that sort of Scotland is a, an, an approachable market that, you know... Yeah, actually, that's a really good question, Ang Harrod, because <laughs> I, I, I know I was chatting to a sort of investor friend of mine uh, a few years ago who was... Welsh and working in Wales and he was saying if you come here if you try and come and do business here they're going to hate you as um, a Welsh person I can confirm <laughs> there we go you know I mean there's, there's personal opinions about me aside for one second um, but that's um, uh, you know is there going to be that oh here's an here's an incomer you know let's the mm. let's put the prices up uh, or you know what or actually we... so on on that, I, I just remember, I, so I, I went visiting a friend up in um, Edinburgh and I was staying like, in his family home and his mum sort of said, she looked at me and she goes, I hope you're not English because English people aren't welcome in this house. And I was like, oh, no, I'm Welsh. And she goes, oh, fine, you're Celtish, you can stay. So are you asking me if Scotland's racist? <laughs> Scotland's I think we use the term xenophobic. It's xenophobic, isn't it? <laughs> Um, one of the things we learned in Scotland a long time ago is all the English have the money, right? Um, yeah. You know, it's a fact of life that if you live in any of the regions, you know that the vast majority of the money sits in, in the south of England, right? And we accepted a long time ago, through a gritted teeth perhaps, but we accepted, accepted a long time ago that we need inward investment from outside of Scotland. And I have never come across any... Um, sensible intelligent businessman in scotland who would let someone's accent or where they come from stop them doing business with them yeah. if we good did point. we wouldn't have any business in scotland okay yeah really good point so yeah. okay um so now i'm looking on easyjet and looking for flights and yes <laughs> which you can get from about 35 pounds it's amazing isn't it yeah you can. um so 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 let me go back to your point because i think i think you're bringing up a really really big perceived barrier and I use my English hopefully wisely perceived barrier it's a long way away and I don't understand those Scottish people Scottish people are I'm, a t I'm afraid to tell you just like English people we're just oh no don't say that <laughs> <laughs> and especially when it comes to business we just want to make money and we want to do it well yeah, yeah. um 
but Scotland is not far away. Not in this modern day and age. You know, there is several ways. Yes, you can get in a car and you can drive for nine hours to go from London to Glasgow or Edinburgh. You can also jump on a plane and be there in an hour. You can also use the time productively. I mean, I've got a friend who works between um, uh, Glasgow and London and he gets the overnight train. Mm. So he arrives in London the next morning, refreshed, he's had a sleep, he's had a shower, he's ready to work. And he jumps on the overnight train coming back again. And he's slept and he's back up and he's ready for the next day. Um, And again, that's relatively inexpensive considering the opportunities that currently sit in Scotland. And I'm not selling Scotland because I'm Scottish. And I'm not selling Scotland for development because I have a dog in the fight. I'm selling Scotland because I have in the last 20 years always looked at the UK as a whole, always looked at these micro markets and said, where right now should I be investing my money? I'm not saying in six months time or in a year's time or in five years time, but right now, where should I be investing my money? And if if you take a meta view, if you look at the UK as a whole, Scotland is still very, very good news. How many places are seeing 8.3% rise in 2018? How many people are seeing an opportunity for doing small developments, which the rural areas in Scotland really provide an opportunity for? I'm not saying there's a great opportunity here for the person who wants to build 400 houses. You know, we have our share in Scotland of the size of companies that build 400 houses. Mm. What we don't have our share of in Scotland is small developers doing somewhere between one and five houses. And that's the opportunity. And that, and that is, and that is, you know, that is, I think, the space that a lot of people do want to occupy. Because selling 20, 30, 50, 100 units, you know, you're in that for, you know, years. It's, it, it's, um, you know, the the best development I I've ever done was was four flats, mm-hmm. and we were in and out in eight months. Um, yeah. You know, we, we made about 100 grand on it. Um, yes. It was it was it was dead easy. Um, it's also a lot com- less complicated in terms of the kind of section 106 contributions and so forth. And so that is the space that many of us, myself mm-hmm. included, w- want to occupy. And that is the space that's available. Mm. Because if you come, you know, if you come to Scotland and think I'm going to build 400 houses, right, you will have as much competition to build 400 houses as you would in London, Birmingham, Manchester, Cardiff. Mm. But if you come to Scotland and say, I want to build one to five houses, Mm. or I want to do a conversion, you know, a, a commercial to resi conversion, right, then there is opportunity here right now. And there's opportunity on two levels. There's opportunity in terms of the amount of money that you need to start investing. You know, you can buy a nice plot in Scotland with with full planning detail for less than £100,000. Something that if you were in the South, you'd be looking at three to four times that amount of money. You can buy it at 25% of GDV, not 45% of GDV. Yeah. We've got a good, strong sales market, so you're going to sell it. And we are still... In this economic climate, seeing strong rises of 5, 8, 12%. Cool. It's, it's an opportunity to take advantage of now. And that's one of the things that this podcast should send out, as well as, as talking about why Scotland's good now. We should be talking about, as an investor, stop being parochial and say, let's look at the UK as a whole and let's say, where can I make money right now? That's whether you're in 2007, 2008, 2009. 2021, 2019. Um, 
Paul, I was having a really interesting conversation with an estate agent friend of mine the other day who works in the new homes, um, sort of heads up the new homes department uh, um, in their chain. And he was saying that the stuff that's moving fast, really moving fast, is the developments that people are coming on that are aimed at the first time buyer at the moment where they're uh, eligible for um, help to buy. He said those that market, you know, they're selling out really, really quickly. So you can get a small number of buy-to-let investors that take on those units. But in the main, where people only have to have a, a 5% deposit or whatever it is, or, or less even, um, those things are just genuinely sort of flying out the door. Whereas the higher value stock, the higher value stuff, where someone's got something to sell, that's the stuff that's just sticking around. Are you seeing the same thing? Uh, you, you always see um, a slow market in Scotland for the really high value things. Mm. So the really high value properties in Scotland are a million plus. Mm. Um, and that's always a slow market because we have less millionaires than you do. It's that simple. Yeah. Um, but it's an interesting, you know, it's one of the things I'm asked quite a lot is how, how do you value a new property, Paul? How do you decide, you know, how much is that house going to be worth if there's never been a house there before? Right. And it's an interesting way that we do it, and this might be of, of benefit to your listeners and to your readers. So what we do is we look at the demographics of the area and we say, okay, what is the average wage in this area? And we look at that average household income, the combined wages, the average household income, and then we look at pricing our houses at four times the average household income. Do you know what lenders lend at? Just by yeah. coincidence. Broadly that. Broadly that. <laughs> yeah. Now, it's again, you know, if you take Glasgow and you take London, right? So the average house in Glasgow, right, is affordable at four times the average household income in Glasgow. In London, the average house is eight times the average household income. I just, I, I, I've, I've said this on a, a, you know, a thousand sort of presentations and discussions that I will never understand the London property market. I just don't get it. My, my brother lives in London. He's, um, in kind of a you know highbury islington way and it's a it's a nice house um three or four bed and you know but the houses in that in that street are 1.4 1.5 million or something like that and i think no one earns that money that's not four times anyone's salary or most mm. people's salary even if you're, you're you're earning really good money in in london so it, it's actually really refreshing and nice to hear that you know that's a quite straightforward approach to, to, to assessing those end valuations. Yeah, and, uh, you know, you can look at supply, you can look at past sales, but the fact of the matter is that if you, you're building a brand new product, right, and bringing it to the market, so there's no direct comparable. There's mm -hmm. never been a house on that plot before, that exact how would, plot. And that how, exact would you then, how would you then differentiate, you know, sort of a, a four or five bedroom detached house to a sort of, um, you know, a, a two bed small house which is sort of more aimed at the first-time buyers like how how do you sort of do the price would you, would you be saying sort of four, four times the sort yeah. of executive salary or however you want no, to phrase no. it so, so i think you missed my point so all the all the demographics are out there you just have to research them right every, every oh, okay. the demographics of that area and tell you what the average is so yes there are going to be people in that area who are earning a lot more than the average and there's going to be people earning a lot less than the average but if you can aim your house that the average person in that area mm. can afford it, then it's yeah. got a lot more uh, a lot more chance of selling. Let me give you a real example. We're talking about real examples, right? You know, case studies. 
So we've got a development at the moment, as I was saying, in Fintrain, um, and it fall, falls into two parts. The first part is three new builds, three new build houses. And then the second part is a conversion of uh, an existing commercial building. We'll split that commercial building into two houses. Now, one of the houses, right, is 125 metres on one level. We've only kept it to one level. But the building would allow easily two floors. So turning it into a 250 square metre house. Do you, do you follow that? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. But we have chose to get planning consent for 125 metres, not 250 metres, whilst the building lends itself to it perfectly. Why? Because the demographics of that area tells us that that finished house will be worth circa £300,000 and would be worth almost double that if we took it up into the second floor. Now, one of the mistakes that I think novice developers do is they try to build something out to its maximum capacity. Mm. Yeah. If I can get 250 metres out of this building, why would I not? Mm. No, the market might just not want that. Now, okay. if we build that house out at 125 square meters, or we sell that to someone and they build it out to 125 square meters to be more accurate, right? They are bang in the middle of that affordable house for that area in terms of average household income. They double the size of that house, they go into then very thin air of the amount of people in that area that can afford a 600,000 pound house. Yeah. People can develop. Yeah. That makes sense. Okay. Um, so uh, you're, as we come towards the sort of end, end of the, the, this podcast, you know, I guess the message that we're taking is that you believe that investing in certain pockets in, in, in Scotland and developing in certain pockets in Scotland is an opportunity to realise returns now, right now. No. Maybe not forever, no. because we, we can't see that. But in comparison with the rest of the what the UK is doing right now, and I think it would be fair to say that um, London and the South East is, is a, a, a magnification of what's going on elsewhere, a sort of generalised sort of slow, slow down and fall in prices. Um, so, okay, how do we find out more? What, what do we do next, Paul? Um, well, in, in the article, I've got my contact details, so anybody can drop yeah. me an email. I'll quite happily share with them some kind of general information and give them um, general guidance about where they should look in Scotland. But I think the first thing that they should do is put Scotland on their radar because mm-hmm. I'm sure there's lots of listeners right now to your podcast and lots of people that have read my article in your magazine who have never had Scotland even on the radar so mm-hmm. I think I think we start with the simple stuff put Scotland on your radar yeah, I was gonna say does it start with you know I'm sure every single person can relate to sort of just looking at places on right move or sort of just maybe adding, uh, you know, Stirling or Perth or somewhere, just like, just so you can sort of keep an eye on what's going on in those areas on right move. Yeah, just get start by getting a feel for the area, as you would do by with any other area, mm. right? start by getting a feel for it. But but put it on your checklist. Yeah. On places that you're thinking about, right? And understand that that development is really about opportunity, because... I certainly feel I, I spent a bit of time speaking in, in, in London in 2015 and 2016 at many networking events. And there was a belief that the, the London market was going to go on forever. Mm. And no market goes on forever. I'm not sitting yeah. here and preaching and saying, you know, 
come back to Scotland in 10 years' time and it will be great because the chances are if you speak to me in 10 years' time, even given that I'm semi-retired, right, I will be talking about somewhere else. Yeah. Because that's how development is. It's an opportunity business. It's saying what part of the UK, you know, is, is, is working right now and what areas within that part of the UK are really, really working well. So, you know, we've mentioned um, the Stirling area a couple of times. We've mentioned my Fintry development more than once, right? And that's because I'm looking at an area that in 2018 rose by 8.3%. That's good news in any market. And it's predicted to rise by another 5% this year. Glasgow's predicted 5 Edinburgh's predicted 6%. You know, why would you not be looking at these areas if you are a would-be developer right now? It's just... I suppose my my call to action from both my article and from this podcast is put Scotland on your radar. If you're serious about being a developer and you're serious about not waiting out the storm that's happening in England just now, but constantly making money, because one of the reasons we've been successful is we've been constantly making money in development since the 90s, because we take the opportunities wherever they are we don't wait on the market changing and the opportunities coming to us. Okay. Well, um, thank you very much. And it's been really interesting actually talking about Scotland because it is somewhere that you don't really think about because it's so far away from everywhere. It's so far <laughs> away from everywhere. So far an, away. It's an hour from London yeah. and an hour from Wales <laughs> and about 40 minutes from Birmingham. It is so far away. So far away. <laughs> <laughs> okay well it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you today Paul we you know um just to pick your brains on this and uh this subject and hopefully we'll line up many more to to, to do yeah. to cover on these podcasts because um it's been a pleasure talking to you so thank you for your time and we look forward to catching up with you again soon thank you thanks for listening don't forget you can go to yourpropertynetwork.co.uk forward slash stuff you can download the article that we create from the podcast so you can see all of the case study pictures, all the uh, financials um, and a bit more information uh, in there as well. And there's loads of other useful things to download uh, on that web page as well. And don't forget to rate, comment and subscribe to our podcast.